I want to share with you today the only verse I ever read that I remember the date I read it. I don't remember the exact day, but the month and the year I remember when I saw it for the first time. It was September 1975. I was in McLean, Virginia, desperate, there to reach people for Christ and miserable myself, feeling like a great failure. And I just asked the Lord a question. I recommend that to you. I said, Lord, what is wrong with me? And I opened the Bible, and Isaiah chapter 53, verse 6, almost was lighted up on the page. I really don't know how I saw it, but it was there. I read the verse, and I laughed, because I thought, that's the funniest thing I've ever seen. It says, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, why is that funny? It's funny because it has everything you need to know about yourself, your problems, and God. It begins with the word all. It ends with the word all. It has an each in the middle. This verse is to every human being ever born or ever will be born. And it says we're all like sheep. I had to laugh because I don't know anything about sheep. I guess the only thing I really know about sheep, or I knew at that time, since then I've learned a lot more, is that they need a shepherd. They're the only herd animals in the world that require full-time supervision. Then I began to think about what Jesus called himself. He said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. And I thought about all the people in the Bible, Abraham, David, all those people, Moses, were shepherds. And so I began to think about myself. If I'm like a sheep, what do I need? I need full-time supervision. Because I don't know what's going to happen to me this afternoon. I don't know what's going to happen to any of my family or friends this afternoon. But I know who does, and that is the Good Shepherd. And I began to realize what I need to do is just to be sure that He is in control of my life. And we'll talk about that in a further episode in more detail. But I want to zero in on the problem that we all share in common. And it is that we all want our way. We want our way all the time. And we go astray to get it. And I realized there was nothing wrong with me except Things weren't going the way I had wanted them to go or planned for them to go. We had just returned from the Philippines. We lived there for three years. It was wonderful being with the Filipino people. But being away from family and friends and a different culture and a different climate and living conditions was not easy. Dr. Henry Brandt had been to see us in McLean, Virginia. 
and he asked me to tell him about the Philippines, and I did. And he looked at me and he said, you didn't handle it very well, did you? And that made me so mad. I looked at him and I thought, I wish you'd been over there when the water is dirty and the lights go out and there's no air conditioning and it's hot and it's humid. I'd like to see what you would have done. I didn't say that. But I thought I'd tell him some more things that went wrong. He looked again at me and he said, I guess I'll say it one more time. You didn't handle that very well. And that's all he said. And he left, and those words haunted me for days and days. What did I do? I didn't have anything to do with the water or the lights or the air conditioning or the culture. So what did I do wrong? And as I sat in my house and read this verse, it was, it was just as though my brain lighted up. I thought, well, isn't that amazing? You see, we went over there, and things didn't go my way. Things didn't turn out the way I thought they would. And I resented it, and I got bitter about it, and I got angry about it, and I ended up depressed because of it. And I'd never had anyone make me look at what I had done the way Dr. Brent did to me that day in 1975. And since that time, my husband and I have concluded that the most important moment in anybody's life is when they don't get their way and they should have it. When somebody does them wrong, when heartbreak crosses our path, we need to learn to pay attention to our reaction to being done wrong. And the most common one, which I don't think anybody can escape, is you get mad. You just resent the fact that someone would dare treat you the way they do. And then you justify your response to these people, and it never enters your mind that they're wrong, but now you're wrong in the way you react. And if you don't know how to confess your sin, and if you refuse to believe that anger is a sin, then your response to what someone else did will be far more devastating than anything anyone could ever do to you. And so I would have to say the greatest lesson I've learned in my Christian walk is that I cannot justify a wrong reaction to being wronged and live a victorious Christian life. I intend to do an episode on depression because unconfessed anger is the first step toward being depressed. And when you hear this, I would ask you to to just stop and take stock of what's happened to you in your life. And I'm sure all of us have to say that at some point we've been disappointed in somebody or some situation. A friend betrays you. Your husband or your wife leaves you. Your children misbehave and get in trouble and embarrass you. 
And it's a, when those things happen, we have to learn to stop and just take stock of my heart. And that's really why I started with Deuteronomy 4.9. Because it's so important what we think. And if we don't know truth, we think of error. And the truth that never changes are Bible verses such as the one we're studying right now. And so the verse goes on to say, All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. I don't think that you should ever try not to want your way, especially if your way is right and scriptural and biblical and morally right. But again, I repeat, what happens in your heart when you don't get it? Now, before we go to the end of the verse, from that moment on, I've been studying sheep. And it's hard to study sheep, except it isn't now. I've written a book about it. And you can read in my book all the characteristics of sheep. But it took me 12 years to come up with this little tiny book. And the first thing I learned about sheep is they're not trainable. And I think that's funny because you never see sheep on TV acting or you never see them in a circus. And I began to think, well, I know I'm trainable. I can learn. But then I realized that I forget. And I, I have to equate it to losing weight. I've gone on many, many diets. I've lost weight. And I was so happy that I looked better that I just ate the way I used to and put the weight back on. And then I would look at myself and say, you dummy, you forgot to eat in a manner that would keep the weight off. Have you ever told a lie and gotten caught? I bet you have. And I'll bet the first thing you say when you get caught is, I'm not going to do that anymore. But I bet you do. And have you ever gossiped about somebody, said something bad about somebody, and you know better than to do that. God says if you can't say something that makes people think more highly of that person, just don't say it. And you just can't take back words. And so I've had to agree with God that I'm not trainable either. And I need full-time supervision. I need that little small voice that God has placed in us when he comes to live in our life that will say, don't say that. That will say, don't do that. Because a word spoken is out there and you can't take it back. And another thing I learned about sheep, they have to be sheared once a year. We were in Australia and we had the, the fortune to go and see a man sheep, a big, big shear a big sheep. He grabbed him by the neck and stood him up on his rear end and he took his, his clippers and he started cutting off the wool and the sheep didn't resist. My husband walked up to the shepherd and he said, I'm very interested in the fact that this sheep is in an awkward position but he's not resisting you. And the shepherd looked at my husband and said, Sir, I take care of this sheep. He knows that I will care for him. Therefore, in this awkward position, he is comfortable 
because he trusts me. I can just see Sam writing that down as though it were yesterday. Think about what he said. He cares for the sheep. He watches over him. And therefore, when he puts him in an awkward position, the sheep does not resist. And all of us get put in awkward positions. But it's hard not to resist unless we have allowed our shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, to care for us and provide for us and lead us. And when he does that, we call, it causes us to trust him and our faith grows. And so when the awkward position comes along, instead of resisting it and trying to avoid it and get away from it, we can rest as that sheep did and trust the shepherd to work in our hearts. And it was funny when he finished shearing the sheep, the little sheep felt naked and he almost acted as though he was embarrassed. And then the shepherd kindly put him in a little door that he could go and be away from onlookers. And you know, we have to be sheared and nobody wants to be. And I think being sheared is when you give up something you want, something dear to you. That sheep loved his wool, <laughs> and he didn't want to give it up. But had he not been sheared, the shepherd said he would die from disease. And one of the things that I hate in the world I live in is when parents try to step in and prevent their children from going through hard times. Children need to go through the shearing process while they live at home with their parents. And if they're pampered and petted and, and taken care of and, and people try to prevent them from, from being hurt by others or situations, then they get away and they grow up and go to college and they don't know how to handle it. And so I'm grateful that I know I have a shepherd that wants me healthy. And that means I have to go through hard times. But I have to trust him before the hard time so that when the hard time comes, I will know who's taking care of me. Another thing I learned about sheep, they won't drink from running water. The shepherd has to go find a stream and dam it up and then force the sheep to drink. If they drink st still water, it's stagnant. And so he has to find a moving stream, provide rocks or whatever to still it. And then with the shepherd's crook, he forces the sheep to drink the water. Now the word of God is the living water for you and me. And somehow, we don't get to drinking from that water. And so God, with his, his whatever, crook, he'll take us to the word of God, or he'll have someone share a word with us, or we'll hear someone's testimony, and he'll use that to draw us into his word. And so I'm thankful that September in 1975, 
I asked God a question, and He answered it. He showed me so clearly what was wrong with me. And what He showed me is that I have a bad, negative, sinful reaction when things don't go my way. Now, the end of the verse says the Lord, and that's God, laid on him, and that's Jesus, the iniquity and that selfishness of us all. He didn't say he laid the sin. He said he laid the iniquity. And I had to look that word up, and I had to, do, I had to think about it. And I suddenly realized that all sin comes from iniquity. Your selfishness causes you to go do things that you know are wrong to get what you want. And I love the story of David. David was the king of Israel. He was head of the army. He was the one who interpreted the laws of God to the people. And David came home from battle and slept all day. And when he got up and opened the window, there was a beautiful woman on the rooftop next door taking a bath. And her name was Bathsheba. And she was married to one of David's generals, Uriah. David lusted after her, and he sent his servants to bring her to him. David knew better than to do that, but he did it anyway. He slept with Bathsheba, and she became pregnant. And in those days, if a girl was found having sex outside of marriage, she was stoned to death in the center of the village. Things have certainly changed. But David did not want Bathsheba to be stoned. And so he came up with a plan. He sent someone to bring her husband to report on the war to him, thinking that he would sleep with Bathsheba when the town found out she was pregnant, they would remember that Uriah came home to bring a message to David, and David would be off the hook, and Bathsheba would live. But Uriah would not sleep with her. He couldn't afford that pleasure to himself with his men on the battlefield suffering, and so he slept outside of her house. When David heard about it, he has to come up with another plan. So he wrote a note, he gave it to Uriah and told him to take it back to the battle and give it to another general. The note said, put this man on the front line of battle so that he will be killed. And that's what happened. And David had a friend, Nathan, who came to see him. And he confronted him and he said, David, I know what you did. I know the plan that you had. And David fell on his face. He wrote the 32nd Psalm and the 51st Psalm. And you can go and read those if you choose. But he talked about his iniquity and his sin. He said, I confessed my sin and my iniquity. 
he not only confessed what he did, but he confessed why he did it. David committed at least three sins. Number one, he committed adultery. Number two, he lied to his friend. And number three, he had his friend murdered. Adultery, lying, and murder. And yet David is considered a man after the heart of God. How could that be? Because he fell on his face. He agreed with God that what he had done was wrong. He didn't make an excuse for his behavior. He said, I did it because I wanted to. I knew it was wrong, and I didn't care. And then he, he said in that Psalm 51, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. The word create in the Hebrew is only mentioned twice in the Old Testament. The first is in Genesis, where God created the heavens and the earth. The word means he took nothing and made something out of it. David recognized that his heart was nothing. He didn't remind God that he was the king and he was head of the army. He said, God, I'm basically nothing. Would you take the nothingness in me and make something out of me? And that's why God called him a man after the heart of God. So I trust as you listen to these words, you'll give some thought to who God is, who you are, what you do, and what he has done for you. And I don't think it's negative to realize, apart from God, I'm nothing. But I'm so grateful that with him, I can be and fulfill the purpose for which I was created. So God bless you all.